Welcome back. Good to have you. The Bill Michaels Show. I don't know what happened. To be honest with you, we came back from break, and next thing you know, something was uh, kind of cattywampus and weird. The sound was good. Uh, we were still good on uh, the Internet. We just weren't good uh, in the radio station. I hope uh, we don't have uh, any other issues. Maybe I'll have to uh, check in technically, I guess, with our engineer, Trevor. Uh, 877-867-1670. Um, I think Jack Nicholson was silenced. Give us you. What, is that what it was? Well, you weren't okay. allowed to. You were midway through the thought, and then there it went. Yeah, I was going to say, because I'm thinking to myself, you know, Jack Nicholson, uh, the, the, the tweet that you sent me shows him, you know, a little disheveled uh, on the on his balcony. And my um, comment was, I'm going to give the man a benefit of the doubt for two reasons. One, he's 85 years old. We don't think of Jack Nicholson as 85 years old, but he's 85 years old. And I'm thinking about what the guy did the night before to look like that. Maybe he had some party at the crib. Maybe he had some uh, some guests, we'll say, over. Maybe he's up late late betting. Who knows? Checking out games. He's a sports enthusiast. Maybe he was just listening to all. He was catching up on all the podcasts on the Bill Michael Show. I'll give Jack the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, by the way, did you see the uh, post that Clemens put? He said, oh, my God, it's like I have a twin. <laughs> I just, that picture brings me back to, to The Departed. And specifically the yeah. final eight yeah. scenes of the movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, speaking of tweets, Tim says, selfishly, he wants to see the Bucks play the Miami Heat. He lives in North Palm Beach. He wants to go to the games down there. So there you go. Just thought I'd, thought I'd throw it out there. Uh, 877-867-1670 if you want to find us. Please feel free. Go ahead and do so. Here's a question. My buddy Justin, every now and then I get, he'll hit me up. He's listening, you know, hit me up and uh, give me a shout. And huge Bucks fan, huge sports fan. And here's a question, and this is legit. And we were talking about the Bucks, and, you know, 60,000 people. Remember, it was like 67,000 people outside, 20,000 inside the Fiserv, 19,000 inside the Fiserv, and almost 80,000 people in that area. And and just a couple of years ago, and he had a question. He said, could the restaurants and bars handle that? I'll tell you something. Uh, now, my buddy Gino, he's, he's still searching for a good bartender and maybe a server or two. Okay? But he's he's okay. But some of those places in the area, we went down for the, uh, the, the Buck Celtics game a couple of weeks ago. And I'm not going to give you the names of the restaurants because I don't want to disparage them, but I thought it was really sad. You had a sold-out facility in anticipation for this game. Most of those restaurants we walked into had less than half of their seats and, and tables filled, less than half, and they were on an hour wait. And the reason being, they don't have anybody to work. Well, part of it was one manager said, oh, I didn't think we'd get this many people. It's like, how do you not know your schedule? as to what's going on downtown. So one place, stupidity. But they didn't have anybody. I, I, we, we talk about this all the time ad nauseum, and I apologize, but I don't know where those that made money making tips and cash in the service industry have gone. I don't know. 
But I know friends uh, and, and restaurant owners that are paying outrageous amounts of money, plus your tips, to people to get them to come back to work. And while we keep hearing about, you know, the drop in unemployment, now it's going up a little bit because of the recession. But um, I, I don't know where those that are needing the extra cash have gone. Um, the service industry is is just taking a beating, and that I, that's a great question. You know, for as many people that are going to be uh, attending downtown in the next few weeks uh, as Bucks basketball in the postseason for the Bucks for hockey postseason, uh, and then obviously Brewers games and such for all the bars and, and restaurants in the area. Uh, I the service industry is is where they all go. Where they all go, that's what I'd love to know. Where did all the people? I mean, all the kids that would make two, three hundred, four hundred dollars cash a night. Where did they go? No clue. Anyway, I digress. But that's a, that's a great question as to whether or not they're going to be able to even handle that influx. Eight seven seven eight six seven sixteen seventy eight seven seven eight six seven sixteen seventy. If you want to hit us up, feel free. Go ahead and do so. So, uh, around the NFL, around the NFL. Uh, power rankings of general managers. Power rankings of general managers. Where does your general manager rank? And you, you okay? Let's let's do this. Let's start to look at the worst general managers. Say the unrankable general managers. They're too new to talk about. Uh, they've got George Patton of the Denver Broncos sitting at 25. Then you've got the group of people that are too new. Uh, you've got a new one in Minnesota. You've got to the Tennessee Titans, uh, Rand Carthen, Omar Khan in Pittsburgh, uh, Monty Ossenfort in Arizona, Ryan Poles in Chicago, uh, Joe Shane or Sheen in uh, New York for the Giants, Dave Ziegler for the Raiders. Okay, so you got a lot of new guys. So you got George Patton. Um, sitting at dead last, and you start to roll up the list. Um, you know, the Washington Commanders have uh, Martin Mayhew. He's kind of like with Ron Rivera in that sense. Um, so they're sitting like a 22, so that's kind of tough. Trent Baalke with the Jacksonville Jaguars, although Jacksonville, I think they've done a tremendous job. I really do. I think they've done a pretty good job, and Trent Baalke has started to really kind of rise. And, and I'm kind of surprised that he ended up at 20th when, in, in essence, Andrew Barry – came in at number 19. And when you look at, uh, say, the Deshaun Watson trade, the Browns, they, they're the Browns, man. You love the the move for Elijah Moore, the roster back to looking more complete offensive, uh, offensively and, you know, a little bit better defensively, but it's still going to come down to the Deshaun Watson trade. We all know that. There's Chris Ballard in Indianapolis, and he's just he's just trying to f- survive at this point. You got Jason Licht uh, down in Tampa Bay, Joe Douglas in New York, for the Jets and Joe Douglas, we know they're trying to get this whole deal done. But, you know, they had Sam Darnold, first round draft pick. Zach Wilson, first round draft pick. I mean, that sucks. He's been wrong on both guys. They're trying to get Aaron Rodgers. That's been kind of a kind of a, a miss. I will say this though, picking up Sauce Gardner was brilliant. Uh, it's exactly what they needed, and he turned out to be the real deal. Uh, you got Mickey Loomis in New Orleans at 14. Now you're under 15. So where does Brian Gutekunst fall? Eric DaCosta with Baltimore. 
that's a little bit of a, a mess because they did sign Odo Beckham Jr., but the whole Lamar Jackson thing, I think Eric DaCosta has, has been right on with Lamar Jackson. Uh, Lamar Jackson wants that long-term guaranteed deal, and Eric DaCosta is like, not going to happen. I give him credit for standing tall and having the cojones to say, no, we're not going to do it. Um, you've got uh, Bill Belichick of New England at number 11. Then Jerry Jones is listed as his own general manager for the Dallas Cowboys at number 10. Um, I don't know if I'd go there. I don't know if I'd go there. Now, John Schneider. John Schneider's done pretty well. They uh, they moved on from Russell Wilson. They got that big haul, Geno Smith's rise. Um, but you know they've got uh, they've got the number five overall. They've got an exchange for uh, for uh, the the Wilson trade. Um, it's been a really solid year, we'll say, for Seattle because they did things that nobody thought they would do. Give them credit. And then at number eight, Brian Gutekunst. So for everybody that says Gutekunst sucks. He is ranked at number eight via NFL.com as the eighth best general manager in the league. Think of that. So when you get into the comparison and you say, well, this general manager did this and this GM did this and look who we could have drafted. Look who we, whoa. He is ranked number eight. They say, and I quote, the ranking feels incomplete given that the terms of the expected Aaron Rodgers trade are not known yet. But Goody, moving on from Rodgers, he's doing it at the right time, maybe even a year too late. But I believe the Packers think Jordan Love, they're ready. He wasn't last year. We're going to find out if Gutekinds is right. And that will determine whether or not his legacy in Green Bay is more than above average. Drafting Christian Watson, savvy targeted free agents and some pickups, mostly uh, smart re-signings. The extension that they gave to Elton Jenkins in December already looks like a steal, and which is true. And it's worth noting that the Packers have given out fewer guarantees in free agency than any NFL team this offseason, which probably won't make uh, Jordan Love's job easier. But what they did was the reason they've stockpiled the money is because if – They've got the poison pill, which is if Aaron Rodgers has to come back and they have to pay the guy, they've got the money. That's Otherwise, you're out in free agency, you're doing things. But they've got that poison pill. They're, they're ready to go. If they have to eat the Rodgers deal, they're ready. So you give them credit for being prepared for that. There's uh, Brad Holmes in Detroit at number seven. Uh, Les Snead and Sean McVay of the Rams. That's interesting because the problem isn't that the Rams went all in. It's that they immediately erased any flexibility they had after the title by signing all of their stars to extension. And a lot of the 2022 struggles came down to injury. But don't forget, they were completely outclassed when they were even healthy. Go back to week one, they just never looked right. And part of it was because they didn't have big Andrew Whitworth there as their big left tackle anymore, remember. Uh, They... uh, you know, they, uh, they're ready to pivot from Allen Robinson after losing Von Miller in free agency last offseason, and that drove the decision, at least last season, for the emotions for, uh, you know, Sneed, by the way, for McVeigh. Sneed has done uh, very well with the picks, Tutu Atwell being an exception, but the lack of draft choices and the inactivity in free agency because they don't have the money 
it's kept the roster relatively barren. But they went all in when they needed to, and they found the right pieces, and including Von Miller to kind of come in and solidify things, OBJ to get them there, and they won a championship because of it, and they're still living off of that. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Now, the former Patriots decision-maker Scott Pioli used to keep a framed photo on his desk of the 2000 fifth-round tight end taken one round ahead of Tom Brady as a reminder that the front office wasn't that smart. Interesting. But they did find the gem, the seventh-round gem in Brock Purdy, who helped the team. The 49ers deserve more credit for finding and maintaining uh, so much talent really everywhere else. You know, they did trade up to get Trey Lance, who has attempted 102 passes since then. And they found some uh, core players, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Hafanga, and free agency, a couple other guys. They still have Christian McCaffrey, who they picked up in the trade. Uh, left tackle Trent Williams. They bolstered that team. They still have Bose and company. They're still one of the best defensive uh, groups out there. They just need another piece to guide them. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Brandon Bean and Scott McDermott with the Buffalo Bills come in at number four. Duke Tobin of Cincinnati. You talk about a guy... First of all, uh, they say that he, quote, raised the Titanic. <laughs> so, Cincinnati was just, with Mike Brown at the helm, it was such a craptastic organization. Um, you know, obviously, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's, uh, they're going to assign him to a, a contract extension, uh, you would assume, before the season gets underway, because they're not going to let him go to that next year. But he, uh, T. Higgins, um, they're coming up on contracts. Uh, Jamar Chase is coming up on a contract. Uh, but to find value with tackle Orlando Brown uh, at the top of the market, safety Nick Scott, Irv Smith Jr., um, they've taken some gambles. They've, they've paid off. They've been pretty good there. Then you've got to the number two, which is Brett Veach of Kansas City. Howie Roseman of the Philadelphia Eagles, the number one rated general manager right now in the power rankings in the National Football League. No team does a better job of using uh, every avenue. Um, you know, the Jalen Hurts pick in 2020 was great. Forward thinking there. They've got a lot of other guys. The Eagles are great self-scouting and spend a premium on line play. Uh, but they have lost some pieces uh, to free agency this year. So it's going to be interesting to see what they end up picking up in the draft, how they're able to fortify that team, and if the team that has the backups behind them are going to be capable of filling in for some of the lost spots that this team uh, now has. But number eight overall, number eight overall is um, Brian Gutekinds. How about that? Um, do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? Eight, seven. For those that want to point the finger at Goody, and, you know, everything sucks. you got to be sitting there right now just going NFW. But that, I mean, they break it down by deal. They break it down by player acquisitions, what the team has done, where they ended up, the strength of the team, the position players they, they do have. They rank them on their drafts and the sustainability of their draft. So for as bad as the first couple of drafts were, for Goody because of the longevity of the overall haul not remaining with the team. You still had four players from that team. But overall, out of what, 17, 18, 20 picks, somewhere in there, 
you only have four guys left, and that's that's not good. But I do give him credit because if he sees something that just isn't working, he's willing to cut bait with it and move on. He has been able to find some players like Devondre Campbell, like Preston Smith, guys like that kind of off the scrappy. Adrian Amos was sustainable for a long time with this team. Rasul Douglas, you know, I mean, look at some of the guys that he's brought in that have performed and performed well. So I give him a lot of credit. Um, and some people won't do that because they haven't won a championship. And he's he's part of that that legacy of 30-plus years of Hall of Fame quarterback playing, not getting to the to the Super Bowl. So I, I get it, but I think that there's a couple of times, I, especially going back to the year that they played Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field coming out of, the, coming out of COVID, uh, they should have won that game. They, they struggled on the offensive, offensive front, but a couple of turnovers and bad play by Aaron Rodgers, they should have won that game. Yeah. Uh, Chuck says, so often the success or failure of a general manager can be traced back to one big move. Fair or not, that seems to be the norm. You are, you're right. You can look overall and say, you know, he's done a pretty fair job, especially drafting here as of late. You had two very quality pieces in Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt that came in last year and played pretty well. And once Christian Watson got healthy, he started to prove that, okay, they you, you see in him what they saw in him, so you understand that. But uh, but that Jordan Love pick is going to forever be his legacy. And if Jordan Love takes off and he's successful, then he is going to be a guy that was incredibly smart at an incredibly inawkward and inept time. But otherwise, it is he. If Jordan Love isn't the real deal, then that is going to be the albatross that's going to be hung around his neck for a long time until this team gets back to a Super Bowl. No doubt. 877-867-1670, So, dude, Is Goody – go ahead. I was going to ask you, is, is eight right? Does eight feel right for him in terms of the guys above him? Or is he overrated on that? Is he underrated? I – when I heard he was eight, I thought it was a little high. I thought it was a little high. But when you start to look at the way they're basing this and they're really looking at the way the rosters are compiled over the last couple of years and today, you know, and they start to list off all the names that you kind of find the diamonds in the rough and you picked up the piece players that came in and fit and the the, the thing worked, you're like, okay, he's done a lot of scrambling and he's done pretty good. I've never thought Goody was a terrible GM. I mean, I, what I've always said was taking Jordan Love at that period of time, that was – especially if Jordan Love doesn't pan out, and I never – I don't think he will. Now, it depends on what your terminology for pan out is, what your definition of pan out is. Me, is he going to be, you know, above average, way above average? Is he better than Kirk Cousins, or is he going to be less than that? Kirk Cousins is not a Hall of Famer. Kirk Cousins is not a – uh, a superstar, but he is a better-than-average quarterback that can get you to a certain point, but you have to have the fortification around him to help him. That, I think, what it, what you're aspiring for in, in Jordan Love. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. He, I would be shocked if he is. But you're kind of hoping that he turns out to be a Kirk Cousins type of player. And then if you can put a defense around him and some additional pieces, then it can make him a champion. Um if he is, if Jordan Loves does not turn out to be on that same level as Kirk Cousins, then that is going to be 
then then Gudikins is rated too high at number eight. Because no matter what you think about all the other players, what he's going to be judged on is all the tumultuousness of all of this, of the Aaron Rodgers thing, the Jordan Love pick, Rodgers getting two MVPs, Jordan Love waiting, Rodgers getting pissed at the organization, coming back and bad-mouthing everybody, kissing Rodgers' ass, giving him that contract, handcuffing your team, Jordan Love not being as great as maybe they thought he was going to be. All of this will then be that albatross. So, you know, I mean, I I remember when uh, Donald Driver was picked. And Ron Wolf said to Donald Driver, I need you to make this team to, to make me look good, to make this draft look good, to make, make this happen for me. And Driver, obviously, is now a Packer Hall of Famer. I can see, <laughs> I can see Brian Gudekin standing on the sideline talking to Jordan Love at camp, and he does one of those, hey, how you feeling, how you doing, you know, how you throwing, you know, you understand everything, you're getting a good glimpse of it now as a starter. Hey, you're the starter now, and I can see him in a very serious moment looking at him going, I, I need you to be good for my for my legacy for my reputation. I need you to be good. I need you to do this and be good, better than good. So I thought he was a little high uh, at number eight. I was a little surprised, but uh, I understand it. I won't dispute it. All I understand it. So do you think he was high, too high, or do you think he was just right? I think it's a little low. I think he's underrated in this list. Really? Okay. And I, I mean. The list is weird because you have a guy in the Brad Holmes of the Lions where, yeah, he's doing a really good job right now and he's turned it around, but it's also somewhat projection. They're projecting the Lions to be really good as opposed to guys at the top like Howie Roseman and John Lynch, I think, is proving it and Brandon Bean in in Buffalo are proving it that they've built championship-level teams. It's tough for me to distinguish a championship GM, as in win Super Bowls, and a championship-level GM, right? Because I would argue that the 2020 and 2021 Packer teams were good enough to win the Super Bowl, and they just didn't do it. So Goody did his job of assembling those teams, and there were some flaws, but had had Rodgers played a little better, had very small things been different on the field, then his legacy is completely different. So I think he's done an admirable job since he's come in, and honestly, has proven more than some of the guys rated ahead of him. I, uh, I, I, I'll give you all of that. The only thing I will say is there's been times where you've had an opportunity to do. Now, maybe the, the strength is in not doing something. But there have been times when you've had an opportunity to add that one more piece, that one more extra, and they just haven't done it. They're always in talks with somebody but they haven't been able to necessarily pull that trigger. And I get it because you've had a lot of a lot of headaches and issues with the quarterback. You've had uh, a lot of that drama with the quarterback. I understand all of that, but um I me, I think that uh there's been a couple of times where they just could have pulled the trigger and, and chose not to do so and ultimately that that hurt. And that and I just know from talking to guys in a locker room when a, when a general manager pulls a trigger on a deal that you go, yeah, here we go. Okay, this is a good piece. Whether the guy turns out to be a great player or not, it tells your team you're, you're good. And they have taken opportunities where they could have done that and they chose not to do that. And sometimes it's as much of a mental boost. It, look at, it worked just the opposite this past year for the Brewers. 
not only did they not give you that extra piece, one of the guys that was a key cog that was a likable figure in the in the clubhouse, they got rid of. It was a business move. You understood it. But it just it took the air out of the balloon. So there was a couple of times I thought they could have done that, and they didn't. And that's the only thing I can fault them for. But other than that, I agree with you. You know, they, they've been really – they've been sustainable. They've always had a good roster. They've had a roster that I thought, had they just gotten a play to, player or two here or there and not turned the ball over, they could have been a Super Bowl-caliber team. They just I, – I think there's a couple of areas that they could be better. But then again, you can say that about every general manager. So I, that's why I would say if I would just go a little bit lower, I'd understand it. Well, 877-867-167. Yeah, go ahead. Also, real quick, the list is somewhat just grading them based on what they've done at quarterback, which I disagree with in general, where Howie Roseman's number one because he, he had the luxury of two quarterbacks on rookie contracts, Carson Wentz six years ago, and then the drafting of Hurts and now Hurts. Brett Veach, like he's gifted with Patrick Mahomes, and he does a great job building a roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tobin in Cincinnati, he is up there because he drafted Joe Burrow. Uh, John Lynch, I, I guess roster-wise they haven't done the quarterback, but Les Snead, they figured out the quarterback – I feel like that's what most of this is as opposed to the big, the big picture being a GM. And it's not as if Goody until today has had the shot to go with his quarterback. So I agree with you. It's going to go down to the love thing, but I don't know if he's graded properly next to his peers because he's been faced with much different circumstances. Let's do this. We're going to break away. We're going to take a quick break and come back and get more into this discussion. Give me your thoughts. Brian Gutekind rated as the eighth best general manager in all of football, in all of football. And that is something that uh, I guess is up for discussion for many. So uh, 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. Hey, if you're looking for a good fish Friday night, uh, go someplace to watch a Brewers game. That's our friends at the Social House. H-A-U-S on Lisbon Road, Menominee Falls, and a list of new menu items from a sub sandwich with meatballs or I love the Tiger Burger. They have the mashed ball, uh, mashed potato bites. They've got some new Reuben rolls and such. But the but the Tiger Burger is the that's the real deal. Tiger Burger at the Social House. If you like something spicy, yeah, man, that's the Tiger Burger at the Social House. And don't forget, you go there on Sunday morning, catch yourself a cocktail. You know what comes with the cocktail? Free pancakes. If it's free, it's for me. That's my motto. Free pancakes that make it even better. The Social House, H A U S on Lisbon Road, Menominee Falls. Stop in, tell them we said hi. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show on the air and uh, enjoying the day this friday halfway through the program we were talking a little bit earlier about the milwaukee bucks and their place in the postseason as they wait to, to see who the winner is going to be between the miami heat and the chicago bulls i personally hope the bulls come to town it would make for a great series fan rivalry all that kind of good stuff so uh excited about all of that uh i'm 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 in i'm all in man i'm i think the uh i think the the bucks are with their depth with their 
obviously with their their runner up to the MVP, so to speak. I I, I think they're good, and uh, we'll talk more about this. Kurt Heelan from NBC Sports at Basketball Talk over there on Twitter, uh, joining us now on the hotline. Kurt, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I think, by the way, I think you're right. I think inside the Bucks, they're going to root for Chicago tonight. It's no other reason than, like, the travel. Now, if I'm a beat writer, like, I'm rooting for Miami because I want to go to Miami. But <laughs> <laughs> I think the Bucks should be rooting for Chicago. Although the weather here has been in the 80s, so I can't complain about yeah. it too much, but we are going to fall no, backwards my, just a little bit. My wife was just in – she was in Chicago this week on a – in colleges with my daughter and she's like it's warmer here than it is i'm in la and it's she had better weather i don't know uh yeah as a matter of fact i think uh the the brewers were in san diego and the high here was 30 or 40 degrees warmer than in san diego all day yesterday so uh, we'll take it right now the, the the world is turning weird on us all of a sudden hey um i, I want to ask you first and foremost uh you know i don't really think it matters too much uh, Giannis obviously has won mvps in the past but tell me what the difference is between him and joel Embiid in the mvp race this year it is such a matter of for each voter myself included like how you view MVP and where you put the emphasis and priority in, because uh, frankly, the three of them, it, you know, as I put, when I, when I put my thing out, I could have written 2000 words, making a brilliant case for any of them. And so I think it just comes down to what you prioritize. I think as much as Giannis, I mean, look, he lifted them to the best record in the NBA and did it without um, Middleton for a large chunk of the season. He is, is, some of his efficiency numbers were down just because of the larger role he had to take on. I think Embiid also had to evolve his game over the last year or couple of years, really, to to get the Sixers where he needs to be because this is not the same. He has James Harden, but that's, this isn't Houston James Harden anymore. Um, he's got imperfect pieces around him. It's why they're kind of that's why Philadelphia is frankly third in the in the East and probably the longest shot of the big three to. Uh, to make the finals. And I think he had to do the most to kind of get his team where it was, but it, it really just comes down to what you prioritize. I, in the, honestly, as a voter in the final week, I had all well, two weeks, maybe I probably had all three of them on top of my list at different points, just as I kept talking myself into each different one of them. I think many of us look towards the Eastern conference finals and we figure it'd be now, I don't know what the 76ers, how much, they can bring because I don't think their depth would match up against, say, the Bucks, and their shooting prowess would match up against, say, Boston. No. So we all just assume that Boston and Milwaukee are going to end up in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Bucks uh, happy to get the best record and to be able to keep that home court advantage. So the only thing I see is is that Boston has an unbelievable perimeter shooting team, and they get hot. I watched them just completely destroy Milwaukee the last time they were at the Pfizer Forum. The Bucks are flat-footed. They're not fast. Now, granted, they've played five games in seven days, but if they're going to have a shot at really getting a hold of that series between those two teams, they got to play better perimeter defense, don't they? Yeah, they do. I think that that's right. I think I think the other key for Boston, ultimately, is that they have to have a healthy Robert Williams. They're just not the same team defensively or on the boards if he's not right and he's been in and out of the lineup and, and, and is going to obviously be tested the series, assuming that is the conference finals and things in the East 
shake out like we expect and kind of follow patterns, you know, they're going to have to go through Embiid. They're going to have to go through, you know, they're going to be physically tested and beat up in a series before they get to, uh, to you guys. But not that, frankly, not that beating Cleveland or New York would be, I think it'd be Cleveland. It's going to be all that easy. That's a, another really good team. But I think that that's really, I mean, I think, that, let me put it this way. I think with Robert Williams healthy, I think, the Celtics high is a little higher. I think their peak can be a little higher. I'm just not sure that they can hit it where I'm really pretty, really confident that the Bucks are going to be very, very, very good. Like it's a seven game series. I think the Celtics might have a six or seven game series. The Celtics might have a higher high, but if they're not playing their very best basketball, if they're slowed at all, then, then the Bucks advance. I, I, I think it's, I mean, it's honestly a coin flip of a series, it's, which is, I think somebody wrote, was it Hollinger or somebody wrote this the other day that and I've been saying it too. Frankly, it's the de facto NBA finals if it's what happens. Either of you will crush anybody who comes out of the West. Well, that was my next question because the West, even with Denver being the top dog in the West, I still think they're fallible. You look at, you know, Memphis, if you get John Morant going, they're pesky. You know, obviously Sacramento, uh, they're a, a, an incredibly solid team. But the Warriors, when they're right, they're right. And they've got that experience coming in. I think the West is probably as wide open as I can remember a long time. And that's not counting out Phoenix. Or I don't think the Clippers are going to make much of a run. But I think Phoenix has it in them to be able to do something if Kevin Durant is able to stay healthy. Yeah, I'm probably picking Phoenix. But I would take the field over anybody in that conference. I just um, – Denver – I think Denver's in the situation, and, and first off, I don't know that there's maybe him or Harden. I'm not sure which of one of those two guys, Jokic or Harden, has more pressure on them in these playoffs. Jokic maybe just because, I mean, got two MVPs, is going to finish high in this vote, you know, top three, whatever it is in this voting, has all this thing, and he hasn't done it in the playoffs. And in the last two years, we've always been like, yeah, but they're banged up. What did you expect? And they're not banged up this year. Like, now, now you got to prove it. Now you got to go out and do it, and we'll see if We'll see if they're capable, if he's capable of lifting them up in that setting. Um, I'm probably picking – I'm probably picking – I'm not probably. I am picking Phoenix just because I'm going to take Kevin Durant. When, if, if everything's equal, I'll take the team Kevin Durant's on. Like, I just – I know what he can do and how he can fit in, and they've got four elite players, and I think they – a really smart coach in Monty Williams, and I think they've got enough to figure it out. But if Paul George were healthy, I might not have picked him to get out of the first round. So I don't, the West right. is just wide open. But I think truly, if, if Milwaukee makes it to the finals, I'm not going to say it's a cakewalk. But even if you know the Warriors or whoever gets through, it's not a cakewalk. But all those teams are way more flawed than the top three teams in the East. And frankly, if you put Cleveland in the West, I might have picked them. What? has made uh, Golden State's run on the road so incredibly difficult this year. It has been an enigma. I, yeah, I, I wish I had an answer for you. I, they Mostly that they play terrible defense on the road, but I don't know like why that is. It, it, there's not some easy-to-point-to thing other than they've just been terrible on the road. I think at the start of the season, there truly was a championship hangover. I truly, you know. I think the Bucks have gone through this as well, and, and we're better about it this year. But once you're playing at a certain level, man, those games in November are a little tedious, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. it's hard for the players to get up the same way every night for them and be quite as focused. And I think you saw that with the uh, Warriors. But by the time it got serious, and they're like, "All right, we got to flip the switch," they just didn't really. Um, 
part of that was injuries, but they just have not been, they really, the depth hasn't been the same. The defense hasn't been the same. They get Andrew Wiggins back. Maybe they can get Gary Payton the second back for some playoff games. That certainly will help their defense, but it just hasn't flowed the same way. And I don't think, by the way, I don't think that's on Draymond. I think it's just the pieces around them. Clay used to be part of what made their defense so good is Clay was an elite defender and post all the injuries. He's, he's just not that kind of defender right. anymore. Talking with Kurt Heelan uh, of NBC Sports and uh, go to Basketball Talk, at Basketball Talk over on Twitter to catch his stuff. Uh, give me a surprise team. What can, can in any way, shape, or form, say Atlanta knock off the Celtics or Brooklyn beat the 76ers? Give me a surprise team out of each conference that you could say, being the West is so wide open, you could probably want to throw a dart at anybody. But give me something that somebody you could say, well, if this, if this group of guys gets hot, this could really be sustainable. In the East, I only I think the only lower seed that could really win a first round series is the Knicks, and I, I think that's a that's going to be a fun series with them in Cleveland and the, the mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell, um, uh, Jalen Brunson going back and forth at each other. I mean, they, I went back and watched the game from it was March 30th, the end of the end of March, um, the other day, and I'm like, they were calling each other out. They were they were setting the picks to get switched onto each other at the end of the game. I'm like, man, this is going to be a fun series. I think the Knicks win around, but I. I think the top three teams in the East are just considerably better than anybody else. You're right about the West. It's wide open. If I, is it, if I say the Lakers because they're the seventh seed, is that, I feel weird saying that they got a chance to make a run because they got bloody LeBron James on the team. Like, it's not like he's sneaking up on anybody. But right. they are the seventh seed. I, I, I'm not picking them to win that series. I've got some notes coming out on it later today, but I think that one goes seven as well. I think that that's a really tough series that they can win. If, if Steven Adams, without Steven Adams, they just miss. They're just not the same. They, you can pound them inside, and that's all the Lakers do. They don't have great shooting. They're not hyper-athletic like the, the uh, Grizzlies are, but they're physical, and they get inside, and they draw fouls. And I think you can do that against the Grizzlies and cause them problems. I think that's a maybe the most fun first-round series, and – if the Lakers get past them, I, I'm not convinced they can string together three or three in a row and make the finals. But again, we were talking about like who in the West do I trust? I don't remember. If push comes to shove, do I? I might trust LeBron James more than anybody outside of Durant. Yeah, I was going to say LeBron has the ability to kind of turn it up into the postseason, but whether or not his supporting cast can and yeah. remain injury free. I mean, that's the big thing. We always, you know, yeah. the Lakers yeah. for years is always going to put this super team together and they were always going to support LeBron and everybody's on on the injured list. And, and that's been yeah. their downfall. Yeah. And the other thing with them to watch, Anthony Davis can't just be good. Like if he has 19 and 10, that's not good enough for them. They right. need bubble Anthony Davis. They need 25-plus, 12-and-plus from him. Plus, and honestly, if he'd been healthy longer, he might have been up in the mix for defensive player of the year this year with Brooke and Jaron Jackson Jr. and everyone else. Like, he was that good defensively when he played. They need all of that. They need bubble Anthony Davis to have a shot. And I'm just not convinced they can get that, even in the first round. Can they get that four games out of seven? Right. One question before I let you go, and that is about to the Bucks in the sense that, uh, you know, we all talked about, well, if they would have had Middleton last year, chances are they, they run away with things and they, they get a win. Is Chris Middleton as vital this season as he was last season? I think they're more used to playing without him just because of how this season went. 
But at the end of the day, when you're up against the Celtics, yeah, you're going to need him. Like you, you might not need him to get as far, but in this East, you are going to need him to get out. You're going to need you're going to need his play at the end of the games, his calming presence with the ball and the clutch and ability to hit shots um, and, and shot creation. You're just and, and defense. You're just going to need all of it because. And again, Milwaukee and Boston are clearly the two best teams in the NBA. They are evenly matched. It is a heck of a series, and you're going to need all of Middleton to get there. You just might to, to get past them. You just might not need him the way you did in earlier rounds. Good stuff, Kurt. Appreciate it as always. And as we advance, we will give you a call again. Okay. I look forward to it. Hey, man, I I, I would be happy to be back in Milwaukee in June. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, no doubt about it. Kurt, we'll see you then, Bob. Take care. Talk to you later. There you go. Kurt Heelan. He is with uh, NBC Sports, the NBA writer, and uh, ba- at Basketball Talk over on Twitter, at Basketball Talk over on Twitter. Yeah, can the Bucks, if if Middleton, God forbid he goes down, but if Middleton is down and you don't have Grayson Alley, you don't have Pat Connaughton, because those two guys together can give you not big numbers, but they can give you clutch buckets, okay? If you don't have Allen, you don't have Connaughton. You don't have Middleton. Can this team win? Can they advance to get to an NBA Finals? So the key to all of this is you got to keep Middleton healthy, and he doesn't got to give you. He, he doesn't have to give you twenty five every night, but he's just got to be there and that influence. And and if if he's there and he's something of the old of the, the Chris Middleton that we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing in years prior, then I think the Bucks are going to have enough firepower to get past Boston and ultimately win a championship. Just my thought. But, yeah, I think uh, I think they have the ability to do it. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends at the Point, Stevens Point Brewing, Point Brewing, uh, Brewing Excellence since 1857. If you're out and about and you want to fire up a beverage this weekend, you can also do Cider Boys. Do a little, some, a little bit of flavor, you know. You can go with their box and their lagers and all that kind of stuff, but you can fire up something with a little bit of flavor. Cider Boys, and many, they have the strawberry, they have the peach, they have many different flavors as well. That's our friends from Point Brewing right here in our own backyard. That is Stevens Point. More of the Bill Michael Show next. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.